Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Joining us today is Elliot L. Hirschberg, MD, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine at the University of Utah with an adjunct assistant professor appointment in the Department of Pediatrics in Salt Lake City, Utah. Dr. Hirschberg is also board certified as both an adult and pediatric intensive care unit physician, working at both the Primary Children's Medical Center Pediatric ICU and the Intermountain Medical Center Shock Trauma Unit for Adults. Dr. Hirschberg is with us today to discuss her article, Clinical Equipoise Regarding Glycemic Control, a Survey of Pediatric Intensivist Perceptions, published in the February 2013 Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Thank you for being here today, Ellie. Well, thank you, Dr. Parker. Um, Ellie, the control of blood glucose in critically ill patients has been a hot topic over the past decade or so. Most of the studies have been in adults, but the um, issue is obviously important in pediatrics as well. Would you tell us about your study and what you did and why you did it? Sure. Well, in as you mentioned, the issue of blood glucose control in critically ill patients has been a big topic over the last 10 years and been heavily studied in adults. And the interesting thing with the adult trials is there have been varying reports about it being beneficial or not being beneficial. And I think in 2005, the NIH had proposed a broad area announcement to try to get research networks to to work together. And I was privileged to be part of a research network uh, under the roadmap contract that undertook a survey of both adult and pediatric intensivists' beliefs about blood glucose control in the ICU. And at that time, it was after the original landmark Leuven trial, but it was prior to the publication of the NICE SUGAR trial, which was uh, completed in 2009 in the adult population. And at that time, our group was interested in whether or not pediatric intensivists were following the recommendations that the adult intensivists were following and how how much practice had adopted based on the initial Leuven study. And when the publication of the Nice Sugar came out, um, we saw such a varying degree of practice change in the adult ICU, we felt it was important to repeat the survey primarily directed at pediatric intensivists so that we could see whether or not the adult literature had persuaded their practices, whether or not they still felt that it was something worth studying in critically ill children, and if they felt it was worth studying, what kind of trial they might be open to. So we we looked at the questions that we had sent out in our first survey in 2005, which were fairly comprehensive. At, at that time, we were trying to get a feel of the makeup of most pediatric ICUs, the makeup of most adult ICUs. And in 2005, I think we had um, about 30% 30 of our responses were from adult intensivists and 70% were from pediatric intensivists. And we looked at the questions that seemed where they varied rather dramatically. Um, For instance, in 2005, only about 40% of the pediatric ICU intensivists endorsed the 8110 blood glucose target, um, whereas almost 95% of the adult intensivists had endorsed that um, blood glucose target. 
The other interesting thing that was different between the adult intensivists and the pediatric intensivists were the definitions of hyperglycemia. The adult intensivists had chosen about 120 milligrams per deciliter, whereas the pediatric intensivists had chosen about 150 milligrams per deciliter, and also the definitions for hypoglycemia. Most adult practitioners identified with that severe hypoglycemia level, defined as less than 40 milligrams per deciliter, whereas uh, pediatric clinicians got a little bit more uh, concerned with the 60 milligrams per deciliter. Now, that was in 2005, and we wanted to see whether anything had changed in 2009. So we sent a survey out to the same list that we had sent out to in 2005, and then also encouraged an open web link for additional pediatric intensivists um, to be referred by that original group. Um, because we were trying to get an idea of whether or not it was reasonable to design a trial in pediatric ICUs. So what did you find in your study? Did the 2009 results differ from those from the 2005 survey? Yeah, actually they did. Um, One of the initial questions from the 2009 survey was also whether or not uh, pediatric clinicians were endorsing or embracing the adult data because the 2005 uh, survey results indicated that they were aware of the adult data but not quite sure it pertained to the pediatric population as closely as it pertained to the adult population. And we found similar findings in 2009, but we also found that they had changed their preferred blood glucose target rather tremendously. So the 43% who had favored the 80 to 110 in 2005 was virtually non-existent in 2009. In 2009, most had preferred a target of 90 to 140, which is both wider and higher than the 80 to 110. Um, And 73% chose, quote-unquote, other targets, meaning there weren't there weren't a lot of common overlaps between a consistent target that our group um, was reporting. We we think that those targets changed over those two time periods because of the NICE sugar study and the association of increased mortality with NICE sugar um, in the 80 to 110 group. Did you give them an option to select the 90 to 140 um, glucose target range, or was that something that they independently um, indicated on your survey? Yeah, no. So one of the things that we had done differently between the 2005 and 2009 survey um, was the, the the options for for glucose targets, and we broke it down pretty evenly into 80 to 110, uh, 80 to 120. Um, 90 to 120, 90 to 130. So every single option was there. And then we, we did a couple that were just the 30 milligrams per deciliter apart, and then we did several that were uh, 50 milligrams per deciliter apart. The 90 to 140 target was actually an option for them to choose, and it was there based on the fact that many of the adult um, professional societies had begun endorsing that target right after the Nice Sugar publication. Uh-huh. 
Um, you mentioned that um, the definition of hypoglycemia was a little bit higher for the pediatricians than for the um, adult intensivists, uh, the pediatricians using 60 as a cutoff for hypoglycemia. Um, and there seems to be a great deal of concern about hypoglycemia in the pediatric world. Can you comment on that? Yes, um, I, there is a lot of concern about hypoglycemia in the pediatric world. A lot of this has to do with the effects of hypoglycemia on the developing brain. And the interesting part about there being no change in that definition of hypoglycemia from 2005 to 2009 is that the, in addition to the NICE sugar study coming out, the, the Leuven investigators came out with a single-center pediatric trial where they actually targeted um, normals for age levels of, of uh, glucose control, um, as low as 70 to 109 milligrams per deciliter. And their hypoglycemia rate, defined as less than 40, actually was about 25% in their um, treatment arm. And their study results had indicated that despite that level of hypoglycemia, there was a reduction in mortality in that um, lower tight glycemic control group and a reduction of inflammatory markers. But I think that the North American intensivist, pediatric intensivist response indicate that they weren't quite willing to accept this idea of hypoglycemia induced by insulin being equal to hypoglycemia that occurs kind of naturally among the pediatric population. And the, the biggest concern is about the effects on the developing brain. Um, the other interesting piece that I found more in casual conversation with people than was noted in the survey um, is that at each age group, so less than six months, greater than six months, um, the amount of contribution that your liver makes to sustaining glycemic levels um, plays a role in whether or not people feel that blood glucose control is important. And in the survey, we found 98% of our um, respondents indicated that their decision to control blood glucose in the pediatric population was very contextual dependent. So they would make decisions based on the age of the patient, the disease process that brought them in, and overall decide whether or not it was a worthwhile endeavor. And I think that the concern over hyperglycemia comes from an innate desire to first do no harm in any physician. I, I think it's interesting that the, <clears throat> the, the changes in the um, targets for the pediatricians um, from 2005 to 2009 seem to be influenced more by adult data than by pediatric data. I, I found that to be interesting as well. I, I think, again, it has to do with the, the plausibility notion and the idea that really when any physician and any clinician looks into the evidence base, the first question they need to ask themselves is, does this pertain to my patient population? And I think that people were a little bit speculative about uh, the, the makeup of the Leuven um, Pediatric Center. Uh, it was largely cardiothoracic patients, 
And I think that the nice sugar trial uh, tried to get a smattering of medical ICU patients. And our, our respondents from the 2009 survey um, were largely working in mixed medical ICUs for, pediatri- for pediatrics, not in uh, cardiac ICUs. Now you did your survey, um, at least in part, um, to lay the groundwork for a pediatric uh, glucose control trial. Um, is that correct? And where does that stand? Yes, we did. And um, we have the, the half-pint study is designed as a multi-center pediatric intensive care unit study where we randomize patients to either the 80 to 110 or the um, 150 to 180 milligram per deciliter blood glucose targets. And we wanted to see, because of all of the difficulties and inconsistencies with the adult data, we wanted to try to design a trial that would encompass all of the patient populations that we were worried about um, that would have a study protocol that would be safe and reduce hypoglycemia so that pediatric intensivists would be willing to enroll patients in the study. Uh, one of the things that you you can see when you look at the, the results of the nice sugar study is that of the 6,000 patients that they ended up studying, there were about close to 2,000 who had initially qualified or met the screening criteria for the study, but were not enrolled because physicians chose not to enroll them, which is always a prerogative when mm-hmm. uh, performing a clinical study prospectively. You have to defer to the clinician's judgment. But we wanted to design a trial where it would answer the question of, for all comers in the pediatric ICU who meet X criteria, and A, what was that criteria, and B, what's the protocol that you would study so that we could maximize our enrollment. And this was um, for something called the half-pint study, which we did end up getting NHLBI funding for. The PIs of, of that trial are Michael Agus from Boston and uh, Vinay Nadkarni from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. The New England Journal of Medicine recently published the the study of glycemic control in children uh, post-cardiac surgery um, and did not show any benefit of uh, tight glycemic control in that patient population. Do you think that will change the clinical equipoise about glycemic control, and do we still need a trial of glycemic control in critically ill children? Uh, so I think that I'm going to answer those questions separately. Okay. Do I think it will change the clinical equipoise about glycemic control? Yes, I think it will because I think that uh, also as clinicians, we often try to use the evidence base to uh, defend our preconceived notions about what we think is right for <laughs> patients. So I think the clinical equipoise will change. But I do think we still need a trial of glycemic control in the mixed population of the critically ill children. And the reason I think that is that the physiology that lands critically ill children in the cardiac ICU is very different from the physiology that lands children in the mixed medical uh, pediatric ICU. And most of the hyperglycemia that 
is seen in the cardiac ICU is likely related to exposure to um, cardiopulmonary bypass and also the receipt of glucocorticoids during or immediately prior to their cardiothoracic surgery. Um, what Dr. Agus's really beautifully done trial shows was that in the group that had no control, they reached normal glycemia within 15 hours without really any insulin exposure. And based on our preliminary work to determine whether or not there was a high percentage of medical ICU patients who would even meet the criteria for requiring blood glucose control, uh, the patients that meet the criteria and in the half-pint trial, um, the criteria uh, are really focused around the sickest children. So they are children who are either requiring mechanical ventilation or who are on vasoactive medication support. Uh, typically, those children are, re are staying hyperglycemic for three to five days, which um, in the original adult studies is the group that seems to benefit from blood glucose control. Now, being able to target those, those people ahead of time and make sure that identify them as the ones who you're actually enrolling has proven to be rather difficult. But the beauty of uh, Michael Agus's protocol in, in, the, in the cardiac population is they had a insulin titration algorithm that resulted in a very low incidence of hypoglycemia in fact, lower than the published native rate of hypoglycemia in the pediatric ICU and in the pediatric cardiac ICU population. I believe their hypoglycemia rate was about 3.6% of patients. And the native published rate from several retrospective studies is around 4 to 5%. So the house plant protocol uses Dr. Agus's um, insulin titration algorithm along with a continuous glucose monitor, which he also used in the cardiac ICU, to really avoid any concerns or any potential um, prolonged exposure to hypoglycemia. And so I, I think there's good physiologic evidence that we still should do this trial in the pediatric ICU. And I think that as long as we can do it safely by avoiding any harm, which um, Michael Agus's trial in the cardiac ICU published in the New England Journal indicates that we can do it without undue exposure or increased harm, at least with respect to hypoglycemia. I think it's still a worthwhile endeavor. I, I thought it was interesting in the survey uh, that you reported that the acceptable rate of hypoglycemia um, for the pediatricians who participated in the survey was actually lower than the um, rate of hypoglycemia in children who don't get insulin at all. Would you comment further on that? Yeah, I wish I had a way to explain that entirely. I didn't expect that. Um, and unfortunately, all of these surveys were de-identified, so I couldn't go back and, and probe people a little bit further on that. But we concluded that it was really a response to clinicians feeling strongly about first doing no harm and um, indicating that there may be a difference in terms of insulin-induced hypoglycemia on the developing brain and just naturally occurring hypoglycemia. Um, we took it 
to mean that, that really a prospective trial would have to ensure, A, a very low incidence of hypoglycemia with their insulin titration protocol and also um, defend against a very short exposure time, so quick uh quick discovery of that hypoglycemia. And and the beauty of the continuous glucose monitor is it, it does allow for that. You detect it right away, and you can make a choice to, to treat even prior to having confirmation that that subcutaneous monitor level is 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 corresponding with what the, the clinical lab level would be. And Dr. Agus's study in, in post-op heart patients suggests that, in fact, this trial can be done safely and um, should be reassuring to the um, in the units that are participating in the half pint study. Uh, I believe it should, uh, yes. And then the the other interesting thing is that the Leuven group, who did that initial trial in 2009, um, has have just published their uh, three or four year follow up. Um, basically a priori design neurocognitive developmental follow-up of the uh, tightly controlled group and the conventional controlled group. And they really did not, despite a 25% incidence of hypoglycemia, they do not report any significant uh, neurological deficits from that group. Which is also reassuring. Which is also reassuring. Yeah. Do you have any other comments that you'd like to make today? Uh no, I think you covered them quite well. I really Actually, you covered them. <laughs> I really appreciate you inviting me to come and speak today. Well, thank you very much, Ellie. Thank you. We have been talking with Dr. Elliot L. Hirschberg from the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, Utah, to discuss the article, Clinical Equipoise Regarding Glycemic Control, a Survey of Pediatric Intensivist Perceptions, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in February 2013. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. You can now find us on Stitcher and Beyond Pod as well as on iTunes. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. SCCM's internationally renowned fundamental critical care support, FCCS, course, has been updated and enhanced to reflect the latest research and the most effective training approaches in critical care. The fifth edition curriculum emphasizes case-based education with scenarios that mirror clinical reality. Ensure that every member of your staff who comes in contact with critically ill patients has the confidence and skills to treat those patients effectively. Bring SCCM's staff training courses on initial critical care and disaster management to your institution. Ask to speak to the SCCM Hospital Relations Manager for details about the FCCS or FCCS online courses, Pediatric Fundamental Critical Care Support, or Fundamental Disaster Management courses. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University Medical Center. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children.
The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members.